I, I just want to throw it all out there right at the beginning what my expectations are for this class and the three following until Mitch comes back and then you can breathe a little easier. I want to give you an idea of what we're going to talk about. Okay, so first of all, we want to look at. Okay. <laughs> First of all, yeah, we want to look at the historical. Some of you are cringing right now. Historical and cultural context, very briefly. Don't freak out. Um, secondly, I want to look at the literary context. And then, finally, thirdly, application. Okay, I'll be honest, that was a little hard for me to do, because I'm, I don't, I don't think like that. That seems like a little too smart for me. Okay, what what are, what am I talking about here? All right, let's let's break it down. Let's break it down into more simpler terms. First of all, the first one, historical and cultural context. Okay, what can we learn when we consider the stories of the Corinthians as individuals and as a group in this time period? Right? That's what I'm trying to to look at when it comes to that first first one. And what were they up against regarding the culture of that first century time period? Everybody good with that? Everybody with me? Yeah? Secondly, the literary context. Uh, I want to first look at the purpose of 1 Corinthians as a whole, and then to look at chapter 12 through 14, and then we'll get into chapter 13 when Mitch comes back. What I want to do there is, what, what is Paul trying to say in a letter to the first Corinthians? What's the main idea? What is he trying to get across to us as his secondary audience? All right, As the primary audience, too, for the Corinthians. That's what we, we want to look at. Why is chapter 13 in between chapters 12 and 14? Um, it's kind of a silly question, because 12 comes before 13. But... But you see where I'm going with that? Why did he put it there? Why didn't he put it earlier? Maybe he didn't come up with the chapters, but but what if he had put it somewhere in like chapter 5 area? Maybe earlier. In the, why, why did he put it in chapter 13? We want to just think about those things when we, when we get to that. And then, thirdly of all, the applications. What do these things mean for me and you in the here and now? Everybody good? Everybody okay with that? I hope so, because that's where we're going. So first of all, uh, let's let's jump into the setting for the church in Corinth. And I, I don't want to get bogged down into a lot of details. This isn't a history class, but but I do think it would be really important for us to have a better idea of where these people are coming from, what they're dealing with in their day-to-day lives, what kind of city they're living in, and so that's what I want to look at, just for just very briefly. 
So Corinth was first occupied around the 8th century BC. That's when the foundation of the city started to happen, right? Does anybody have any idea what else is going on? Uh, preferably in like Israel or Judah time period, just to give us a, a better idea of, of this time period. It's a hard one. I, I had to look this one up. This is actually towards the towards the end of the, the eighth century is when King Hezekiah starts reigning in the southern kingdom, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, uh, over Judah. And then just a couple of years later, in 722, I think it was, 722 BC is when Israel, the northern kingdom, falls to Assyria. So this is the same time period that Corinth is starting to become a city, starting to become something on the map. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was really cool to, to put that into perspective. I don't know, maybe I'm a dork, but I am a dork. <laughs> it was the most prominent city in Greece. Uh, from 350 to 250 B.C. It was destroyed by Rome in 146 B.C. and sat dormant for 100 years until it was rebuilt as a Roman colony in 46 B.C. A lot of numbers. Don't, don't, don't worry. Don't get bogged down in it. Then it soon, after, soon after that, it became the Roman capital of Achaia, which is the country-ish type thing, the, the area, uh, larger area where Corinth is, is located. It was also located on a three and a half mile wide, oh, I hate this word, isthmus, isthmus, I think I did all right there, and it separated central Greece and the Peloponnesus. Um, what that means, and I, and I wish I had included a map in, in the PowerPoint, but what ends up happening is you have this, almost like this body here, which is Achaia, and, and then there's a little strip of land, and I'm exaggerating here, but, and this is ocean, and this is ocean, that really wasn't helpful at all. <laughs> Just take my word for it. This is ocean over here, and this is ocean. And instead of making a 200-mile journey around this way, which was very difficult, arduous, dangerous, it was actually easier to drag the boats across this three-and-a-half-mile-wide isthmus that connected Achaia and this Corinth area to the mainland here. Okay, so everybody, everybody cool with that? What does that mean? What does that mean for a city like Corinth? A lot of traffic. Okay, a lot of traffic, a lot of people, a lot of commerce, right? Um, they actually, so I, it was interesting to me just like imagining, so where, where I come from, I graduated with a civil engineering degree, and so when I think about like picking ships up out of water and like dragging them across on rails, uh, this is fascinating to me. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, they constructed that back before Jesus from the earth. So uh, I thought that was really fascinating. There was also the... So everyone's familiar with the Olympic Games that were held in Athens. There were... A, a step lower from that were the Isthmian Games. And those happened 
every first and third year of the Olympiad. And those, uh, one of the places that those took place was in Corinth. Okay, so not only do you have a lot of commerce from the isthmus that I just erased, but you also have a lot of a lot more traffic, even more people coming for these games every two years. Which it it also makes First Corinthians nine interesting to me. First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty seven which I, I think everybody here knows. It's about, uh, well, I'll have somebody read it, whoever gets there. If you wouldn't mind reading that for me. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's cool, right? I mean, it makes sense why he would include that saying, that phrase, that point, for these people. Because they were totally engulfed in this Olympic games culture, right? Besides the commerce, besides the Olympic games, they had a relatively stable population of residents of about 500,000 to 700,000 people. So that's just the people who lived there normally, not including the people who stopped in on any given day, right, for the previous things that we've talked about. Tons of people. Tons of people here. It was an economic powerhouse that drew merchants and other visitors from all parts of the known world. And as a result of the commerce, the games, the port, there was a very, very vast religious diversity. I was looking up the various religious practices that were happening in Corinth, and I was just—I I was amazed at how many things were going on in this place. There were temples, and, and I, I cut it off because I just thought this is this is getting out of hand, it's getting ridiculous. There were temples and shrines to Dionysius, Pan, Artemis, Zeus, Athena, Poseidon, Aphrodite, Apollo, Asclepius, Fortuna. And Isis and Osiris, the Egyptian gods. And like I said, that's not even all of it. Those were just some of the bigger names that I thought some people would, would be more familiar with. There were also a large group of displaced Jews living in the city. So on top of the idol worship and the Greek culture and the Roman gods and all that stuff, you have Judaism trying to find its way and, and mesh in there. And I want to mention, I mentioned the goddess Aphrodite, the idol. Somebody tell me who Aphrodite, what Aphrodite was known for. Love. love, yeah. So she was the goddess of love. 
She was the goddess of beauty, of pleasure, and procreation. I don't think I need to go into that too much, right? You get the idea. There was actually a colloquial expression uh, to Corinthianize. It meant to engage in immoral behavior and loose living. To be known, to, for ha to have your city known as something so, so sexually immoral that the, the name of your city became synonymous with sexual immorality. This is what we're dealing with. But this is what these people were dealing with. Please appreciate that. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 through 11. It says, I wrote to you in the letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. By no means did I mean the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy people and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would have to depart out of the world. But now I have written to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexual immoral person or a greedy person or an idolater or an abusive person or a drunkard or a swindler with such a person not even to eat. So what I want you to think is to, to bring it home. And that's all I have. That's all I want to talk about as far as this is concerned, the historical and cultural <coughs> stuff. I want you to think San Francisco times 20, right? This is a, an incredibly immoral, progressive, liberal place to, to be. Um, there were, I'll leave it at that. So I want to, from here, I want to jump into the literary context. And I want to look at the book of the First Corinthians, the letter to First Corinthians, um, as a whole, and then come a little closer in, zoom in. But for for right now, I actually want. Oh yes. An observation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting that you would point out the sort of comparison. Between Corinth and where we are in certain places today in our own country, mm -hmm. and even even as the moral and, and those the culture of hedonism and idolatrous practices, the gospel still found a place. Absolutely. And I guess it's I'll be encouraging to all of us. Mm. When we look and we read and we see all this going on and say, okay, if the gospel found a place in Korea, it all found a place here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm reminded of when, when Jesus will say, and I forget where it is, I'll just, I'll pull a, I'll pull a, a Paul here and just say, somewhere it's said that <laughs> when Jesus he says, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Um, if the miracles that I had performed in you had taken place in Sodom, uh, they would have repented long ago. 
And I kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thought. And, and I think it's one, we talked on Wednesday, for those of you who weren't here, we talked a little bit about, I think Alan brought up the question. Uh, I forget how he, he said it exactly. Somebody help me out. My mind went blank. Are we afraid to tell our stories to others? Why don't we? Yeah. We so share connecting and then connect with those people that, and then it's personal. So my story is your story. Mm -hmm. So the idea that Alan was saying is, you know, if 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 Jesus uh, attracted and Paul went to these people, attracted these these sexually immoral and these swindlers and these greedy people and they flocked to him and this woman in in Luke 7 comes into a very embarrassing situation just to get to Jesus Um, do we have that same effect on on people of her lifestyle of her choices of her life choices um, I think that's a really convicting thing to think about. Are we are we reaching out for those people? Are we making ourselves available to people who in the past have made big mistakes? Like we all have. Really. One of the questions Mitch asked was, uh, how do we handle Simons of today? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when we come in contact with a Simon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he has some good stuff. So I want to jump in, and, and well, before we jump into the literary context, I I want you to appreciate that First Corinthians thirteen has a context. First of all, so why is it there? What purpose does it serve? What is its function in the big picture? And, and why did the Corinthians need to hear it in that particular way? And we're not, we're not going to get into 1 Corinthians 13 right now. Um, so don't, don't worry about flipping over there. But, but I do want to make the point that I, I believe we often take this chapter and turn it into something that's actually the opposite of what Paul was trying to get across. What we, what we like it to be is a beautiful, intellectual, flowery discourse uh, about love, you know? I didn't say that right enough. Love, right? <laughs> That's what we want it to be. But in reality, what it must have been to the Corinthians, it must have been a harsh, practical, pointed chastisement for the lack of love in their church. Every sentence meant to remind them just how far they had missed the mark. Every word, a gut punch. And I think, I don't think it's wrong. I think it's a great thing that we often read that passage in marriage ceremonies. I think it's great because I, I think to have that idea before you go into marriage is, is, is a great idea. But, but to make it into a flowery, kind of a feel-good thing, I think we're actually... Almost doing the opposite of what Paul actually intended. So, yes. It's almost like Brian's lesson. It's 
you asked for this. Yeah. It's that kind of a thing. Yeah. Now you're yeah. going to hear what, this is what you've done. This is what you need to do. You wanted the truth. And that's, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, yes. And in the, in the context of Aphrodite worship and everything, it's like this is what, that's not love. This is love. That's a great point. Yeah, <laughs> Let because me tell you what it really is. You have, and actually, Aphrodite, the temple for Aphrodite was actually the biggest. It was the one that was so Corinth. From what I understand, I've never been there. I just looked at a lot of pictures, but there is a hilltop plateau in Corinth. From what I understand, and on top of that was the temple to Aphrodite. And it was the big one. It was one that everyone saw when you first came in the city. That was what it was all about. So that's a great point. These people are looking. Oh, that's, maybe that's love. Uh, no, this is what love is. Love is patient and et cetera, et cetera. So, now we get to the fun part. What I want to do is, Giovanna, you get to choose because you're right in the middle. I'm splitting everybody in half here, okay? So this half, I want you to take Acts 18, and I'll come back to you, but go ahead and flip over there. Acts 18, and this side, you have the fun task of having the whole letter to 1 Corinthians. So, hey. I believe in you. I believe in you. Okay, so according to these passages, I want to look at who who were some of the Corinthian converts. All right, who were the people that we're talking about? I want to put not necessarily faces to names, but I, I want to I want to write them out. I want to have the names out so we can have a look at them and see them, and hopefully have a better understanding that these are people, right? It's sometimes difficult to, to read a passage like this and to really get invested into these people. But I want to take some time and do that just very briefly. So what I want to do is once you find a name in, a, in an orderly manner, just let me know. Just, I, I say shout it out, but you know what I mean. Chloe. Okay, so this is... Here's 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians people. And then Acts 18 people. So we have... Chloe. And who... Well, hold on. Who else Who else do we have with Chloe? We have some other people with Chloe, yeah? And... Yeah, her people. Yeah, her peeps. <laughs> we'll go with that. Alright, somebody over here? Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, Aquila and Priscilla. I'm going to do this and this. Crispus. Crispus. And Gaius. Pontus. Losing track of who's, who's where and what passes. I've got Christmas in Acts 18 too. Yeah, they're going to First Corinthians. So they're heading that way. Christmas. Or, sorry, he's he's uh he gets he gets bonus points. Gaius. Daddy's that. 
We're going with it. Who else? Household. Hold on, sorry. What do we what do we know about guys? Do we know anything about guys? Yeah. So Paul's letter to the Romans was written in Corinth. Uh, I thought that just of of note. Uh, he was baptized by Paul. He was the host of the whole church, according to Romans 16, 23. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what that meant. Maybe he had the church meet in his home. Maybe he was just really hospitable. Maybe all the above. Just an idea. Just giving you some more information there. Who else? Do we have anybody over here? Acts 18? Gallio. Gallio. Converts. We're, we want to look at who the church, who the church was, right? So, uh, Stephanus in the household. Giovanna, I saw you. So who was he? Yeah, so he was... It says he was a worshiper of God. Worshiper of God. Yeah. So house is next door to the synagogue. This guy lived next door to the church building. Yeah. Right? Crispus was the ruler of that synagogue. Yeah, so Crispus, he actually was in charge of the synagogue that Titius Justice lived next door to. Okay. Okay. Who else? Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, or Achaicus, all visited Paul from Corinthians. From Corinth, right? Yeah. So. Okay. So that's my cue. I, I want to... The other person that I, I wanted to think about a little bit and there's there's plenty more, okay, plenty more, and and so I don't want to get bogged down in this. But one of the people that I do want to mention is Apollos. Okay, um, what's the big idea with Apollos? And I have something else I want to get to before we let out. So very briefly, I, I just want to say, according to Acts 18, towards the end of the chapter, and and 19. Apollos started in Ephesus. He was teaching very fervently. He was eloquent. He was competent in the scriptures. Fervent in spirit. Bold. He had great help to Corinth. A great orator. Uh, this guy was a rock star. Okay, These people back then, they don't have... Like Justin Bieber. That, that's, that's not a thing, right? The, the, seriously, the, the rock stars were the great orators. Okay, And this guy was... A rock star. 
So when this guy shows up, and then Paul starts talking in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, this is what he says, Thus let a person consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of God's mysteries. If you skip down to verse 6, it says, Now I have applied these things, brothers, to myself and Apollos for your sake, in order that in us you may not learn, you may learn not to go beyond what is written, lest someone be inflated with pride on behalf of one person against the other. Do you see what's going on with Apollos? People are taking sides, right? I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Cephas. Christ yeah, Christ is not divided, right? Um, long story short, Paulus was a rock star, and that's exactly what Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. I'm sorry, can I skip well, you? Just, just, just real okay. quick, you said it, but he's a great debater. Yeah. That's also what he's known for. Yes. But he was teaching the baptism of John. Yeah, but, but Aquila and Priscilla helped out with that, yeah. okay? So, yeah, it's kind of. Can everybody kind of see that? <laughs> okay, somebody, somebody tell me what's the difference. Does anybody have any idea? Between all six? The top three and the bottom. Pixar. Pixar and Disney. Okay, these are Pixar. And then, well, Disney with Pixar. And then this is just Disney. Okay? So tell me... We, we're kind of out of time, so we don't have a whole lot of... To, to discuss this, but with Disney, when it comes to Disney, you have very clear distinctions between good and evil, right and wrong, right? The protagonist is pure and good, and the antagonist is always crooked and evil. I mean, Snow White. Like, come on, her name itself is like Snow White. Really? There's very little character development throughout the movie, right? She's perfect, so why do we need to change? Why do I need to be any better? Whereas with Pixar, you have these characters, situations, and decisions that aren't as simple as right and wrong. Okay, both the protagonist and the antagonist often have moments of good and evil tugging at them. Right? I mean, it, they're not all or one. Right? Woody, for instance, at the beginning of the movie, tries to murder Buzz. Right? He's like murdering. Most often, the entire story is based around character development. So do you see the difference here between these two? <coughs> Fairy tales versus, like, I say real life. It's a talking car. It's not real life. But it, it more closely resembles real life. Is everybody with me on that? Do you see where I'm, where I'm going there? I'm not endorsing any sinful behavior here. I want to make that clear. But I do want to encourage all of us to have a more realistic view of the Corinthians. Uh, I want this to happen before we get into the letter as a whole. Um, because I think we have a tendency to like, put them in the same category as the Disney villains. I think we, I think we do that with, with a lot of Bible characters. Almost all of them. Uh, I think David might be an exception to that. We see both. We see the Pixar element in David. But I think for most everybody else, man, it's almost... Even I mean Pharisees, for instance, like they're not—they're not all terrible people. Right. There's a conflict going on, and they're just—they're just letting the wrong side take over. Is what, what's happening. They're not developing their character like they should. They're not allowing Jesus to come in and transform their lives like they should. There's that tug. Okay, so I want to challenge all of us not to write these people off as Disney villains and see them for for real people. Thank you.
empathy. And I think that will help with our studies. I do have homework for you before you run out. So I want you to read. I want you to read one chapter. You get to pick one chapter. This is for this Wednesday. I want everyone to do it. Read one chapter of 1 Corinthians. Just any one that you want. Read it very, very carefully and note any issue that Paul addresses or alludes to in the chapter. Anything that comes up. Thank you very much.